In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, would you give to each of us the prayer, the words, the acclamation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, on important Sundays, the microphone demons like to have their way, but we have figured this out through the help of David and Zach. Praise God. Beloved, my homily this morning will not be very long. We have two services this morning, so I pray that you would listen well. For the Lord has given me something to speak to you, something that He has already been speaking uh, to me over the last few days in particular. In my prayer, I opened with the words of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we refer to her as blessed because she is referred to as blessed in Luke chapter 2, in the Magnificat, her song to God. But we will see that the most important thing about the Blessed Virgin Mary is the humility shown by her towards God. The humility shown by her towards God. Behold, she says, I am a servant of the Lord. Some translations say a handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. My brothers and sisters, this evening and Christmas Eve, we'll celebrate the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, where the God of the universe, the Creator God, who made all of the stars in the sky, who made you and me when we were conceived in the wombs of our mother, this God became flesh and dwelt among us. We're moving towards that this evening. But beloved, if we want to receive that truth again this morning, if we want to receive that truth again this evening and tomorrow on Christmas Day, we must come again in a new and afresh to our Lord with the virtue of humility. Behold, you and me, we are servants of the Lord. Let it be to us according to His word. You see, humility is, I think, other than the um, great kind of theological virtues of faith and hope and love, it's the most important. Humility is the most important virtue that a human being can have and that a Christian can have. Because without humility, you don't understand your relationship to one another and your relationship to God Almighty. How can we receive Him again and anew in joy this evening? How can we receive him anew and with joy tomorrow when we celebrate the incarnation if we are not humble before him? I'm uh, a former, again, I say this every now and then, I'm a former athlete, emphasis on former, again, former athlete, and I enjoy sometimes metaphors from sports. I try not to bore you with them or just do them every single Sunday, talk about football every single Sunday, but I want to say this to get us to understand what humility is before we move into the humility of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Humility is not 
this constant self-abasement where you're just like, well, I'm just no good at anything and therefore I'm humble because I'm just not really good at anything. Because some people say that and they don't what? They don't actually mean it, right? It's the false humility. Humility is not cutting yourself down in the presence of others. Humility, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, is this. It's understanding your relationship to the other person across from you and understanding your relationship to God Almighty. The humble person is the person who sees reality as it actually is. Now the sports analogy. Here we go. On an NFL team, there are, I think, 53-man rosters. Correct me if I'm wrong. 53-man rosters. Is that correct? Yeah. Ish? Okay, very good. Ish. Ish. Imagine for a moment that we're, just, we're talking to the 53rd man on that roster. Well, he's good enough to be in the NFL, so he's better than I will have ever been in any possible world, mind you. But he's the, he's, he's the least on the team. He's the guy that, that just made the cut. Well, the 53rd man on the roster, for him to be humble, we might say, is a lot easier because he's not as good as the star running back or quarterback or the, the star defensive lineman or free safety. But if that man is, in fact, humble, he understands his position on the team. He knows that he's good enough to play in the NFL. He has confidence, but he understands that his, his relationship to the star on the team is that the star is better than him, and he's not. And he can freely confess that without, um, without spiritual pride or envy. He can just speak the truth. Well, the star running back or quarterback or free safety or defensive lineman, if he is a man that is actually humble, he knows that much of the game depends on him. It depends on his ability to throw the touchdown passes or to run into the end zone and to rack up the yards. If he isn't playing well, the team won't win. But when you listen to the humble star of the team, what is that person saying? They're saying, yes, I'm, I'm gifted to be able to play this game and to be gifted with talent, but it's not fully about me. It's about us. It's about moving towards a goal. You see, he understands. He doesn't say, I'm not the best on the team. I'm the worst. No, no, he understands in relationship, his relationship to the others on the team, but also that they're moving towards something else. This is humility. But you see, as Christians, we're called not just to humility in our day-to-day relationships with one another and with the world, we're called to a humble posture before God Almighty. You see, that humility is what leads finally to salvation. The humble person before God says, you are God and I am not. That all wisdom begins with fear of God, knowing that we are finite, that we in this world are wasting away, and that nothing good can come to us except from God in heaven. When we adopt this humble mindset, beloved, we can receive our Lord again and afresh and anew this evening and tomorrow. And the Blessed Virgin Mary is a model of humility to us all. Our text begins, it says, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David. Before this, we have Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist and his conception. You know, when you read over that account, it's, it's rather kind of mystifying 
You have, um, you have Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth comes um, from the line of Aaron. Uh, Zechariah himself is from the line of the priests of Abijah. He's, um, he's a priestly man, and, and she is from, of course, Aaron, the line of Aaron and, and, and Moses in their bloodline. And you would think then, if we were just judging by worldly standards, that the Lord, the Messiah, would have been born to them and not to Joseph, who was just of the house of David, and to this Jewish young woman, this humble Jewish young woman. The text doesn't go on and on about her lineage. It just says to us that her name was Mary. And the angel comes to Mary and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. That word in Greek, the greetings, is actually hail, is a better translation. Hail, O favored one, that is one full of grace. It goes on to say, the Lord is with you. She is full of grace because God has decided to visit her. Isn't this how you and I are able to participate in the grace of God? It's because he has visited us. We see there that Joseph, the stepfather of our Lord, is from the lineage of David. We had read from the Old Testament this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we see that that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that was given to David was not only for Solomon, his son. Do you remember the promise here from the Old Testament, from our reading? David basically, it occurs to him, he says, look, I'm living in this huge house. I need to build a house for God. There is no temple. There's only a tabernacle. It's having to be moved from here and there and everywhere. David says, no, I want to do this. I want to build this for God. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, yes, do what your heart has desired you to do, but you're not going to actually build it. Who will build it for you? Your, your son, Solomon. And it's your offspring that's going to build this temple, and then finally that kingdom is going to last forever. Well, does the Solomonic kingdom last forever? Does Solomon's kingdom last forever? Well, no, in, in one way it doesn't. Because right after Solomon, we have a division. The, north, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, there's division. But the promise of God continues. The kingdom actually will, in fact, continue through the line to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, whose kingdom will have no end. This promise is given to Mary, who's betrothed to Joseph. She, in humility, receives this promise. But I, I love the fact that in her humility, though, she doesn't, um, she doesn't quit asking questions of God in the midst of this. Does it strike you odd in verse 34 that Mary, the most important human being, remember Jesus is fully God and fully man, the most important human being in all of, all of human history, the Blessed Virgin Mary, what does she say to the angel? Does she instantly just say, well, this all sounds great, Let's roll with this. I'm happy uh, that the Lord is, has overshadowed me and I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. No. How will this be since what? Since I am a virgin. She offers a question to God, still in faith and hope and in humility. And the angel answers her. And beloved, we will miss what's going on here typologically if we just read through it quickly. So let me point a few things out. She asks this question, and the, and the, the angel Gabriel announces it to her and answers the question. He says this in verse 35. 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Again, think of this young Jewish girl, anywhere from 13, 14, 15 to 16 years old. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You see, what is going on here with those words and with that word overshadowed is we have an image of the temple, of the Shekinah glory of God, of Yahweh dwelling in the temple in the Old Testament. Do you remember God's dwelling first in the tabernacle, then in the temple, and now with Mary? Mary has become, for those nine months, the temple of God. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, dwelling inside of the Blessed Virgin Mary. She has become the temple of the Lord for nine months, where He will dwell. And then our Lord, of course, is born. We celebrate this on the Nativity, that is, this evening, and then um, on Christmas Day. But then Jesus, as He grows and ministers, specifically in the Gospel of John, He points to the temple. He says, this thing is going to be destroyed and then raised in three days. But John tells us Jesus was talking about his what? His body. No, then Jesus himself has become now even more the temple of God. He tabernacled among us, is what the prologue of John says. He became the temple in our midst. But then Paul goes even further. After Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, his promise to come again, Jesus of course, ascended to the Father. He were waiting on His return. But Paul says of us, the Holy Spirit resides in you and me. And that means our bodies are what? Temples. Temples of the Holy Spirit. Just as Mary housed Jesus, God, within her, God the Holy Spirit is housed within us. And beloved, our call then, if we understand the magnitude of that, is to come to God in humility. He has decided to take up residence in us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might with the Virgin Mary say in our day-to-day lives, behold, we're nothing but servants of you in heaven, God. Of you, Lord, we're your servants. Let it be to me, to us, according to your word. Beloved, let me close with a couple of comments here. The first is this. Last night, um, Jennifer and I were uh, talking about this text. We don't always do that, but we did last night. And it was late, and um, as my wife often does, she gives some really good insight. It was so good, I wrote it down, and I had to, I had to include it here in this sermon. But before I get to that insight that I think was so good for us, let me say that our, our two girls, uh, Priscilla and Ruth, Uh, Most of you know them. Priscilla is seven. Ruth is five. As I was sitting on the couch reading back over the text and talking with Jennifer, uh, Priscilla and Ruth came into the living room. And and mind you, they've been put to bed like two hours ago. (laughs) But here they are, those two precious beloved girls, just like they had never been asleep for two hours, (laughs) prancing in, prancing into the living room, and um, I'm growing as a parent because I wasn't angry at first. I usually, usually I just get angry. It's like it's bedtime, you know, why aren't you asleep? But I didn't, and they came in, 
They asked me what I was doing, and I told them. And they confessed to me that they, too, had been reading the Bible. You know, and, and you might think, okay, were you really reading the Bible in your room? <laughs> but they, they took me back into their room, and their lights were out, and um, Ruth's bunk is on the bottom, and Priscilla's is on the top. And Ruth had taken her of this little nightlight that someone had bought her, and you know how the sheets of the top bunk, the fitted sheets, you know, they come around and underneath the mattress above, uh, the white, white sheet. She had taken this light and she had couched it in there where it would be held, but it would be shining down on her pillow. And there was her children's Bible. It was wide open. They had been reading it. I thought to myself, man, just the simplicity of it all. For them, really in a way, they didn't know this. They don't understand it yet. But they were just saying in their actions, Lord, we're just little handmaidens of yours. Let it be according to us as it is in your word. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful image that we got to have and to share. And Beloved, we too often grow up. We become full of ourselves and full of the knowledge, whether it's of Scripture or of reality, and we become wise in our own eyes. And our pride blinds us from being able to just come to God in humility and to say, Lord, we are honored and blessed to be your servants. Would you allow all of this to be done to us according to your word, not according to how we think it ought to be done? So, beloved, I, I would say that as we move now this evening into the feast of the Nativity of our Lord, let us receive him in humility as little Priscilla and Ruth were as they were reading God's word, just joyful to be called his daughters in his presence. And then my second and final point is this. I know that we have a lot going on this afternoon, a lot going on, I'm sure, this evening and tomorrow. Presents to be had, dinners to be cooked, family to put up with, <laughs> all that stuff. Let me just take a moment as your priest, as your pastor, and yes, as your friend, as your shepherd, to tell you this. Don't let all of the trappings get in the way of us rejoicing in the gift that is given us in Jesus Christ. And to do it simply, but finally with humility. Beloved, may our prayer be today and always, Lord, we are your servants. Let it be done according to us as it is according to your word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.